Good morning. It's great to see everybody this morning. I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you. On December 17th, 1903, an amazing thing happened. I wasn't there for it, but, uh, but an amazing thing happened, and it's recorded in the history books. The Wright brothers sustained flight of an aircraft and forever changed the way we travel. I want you to imagine you've got a time machine. A time machine. And you can go back, let's say to the year 1850. The people, of course, are amazed at your futuristic devices. And even though you can't make a call on your cell phone, they can see the pretty lights on the screen. And they just uh, can't fathom what's going on there or how you've attained this great thing. And they hear you talk about an airplane. And they stop and they say, well, what is that? What's an airplane? And what does it do? What's it like? Describe it to me. And the question is, how could you explain an airplane and the concept of flying to a person without showing it to them? To a person who lives in a time where that sort of travel for people is completely foreign. I suppose maybe you could say it's like a really fast bird that you can ride on. But even that, I mean, that gets the general idea across, but it falls dreadfully short of seeing and experiencing a flight on an airplane in person. But you'd have to use something. You'd have to use something that they could understand that at least communicates the right idea so that they can form some sort of thought about it. The scripture reading this morning was 2 Corinthians 12 verses 2 through 4. And it's where Paul talks about an experience that it seems that he probably had. And it's one where he says that he heard things which man is not allowed to say. He wasn't allowed to say things in exactly the way that he heard them and all of those things. The reason I picked that as a scripture reading is that God has seen and heard things and there are things which exist which we have not and will not until after we've passed from this life understand or experience. And he has seen fit to describe to us various spiritual things that are beyond our limited minds to truly grasp. We've never seen heaven. We've never seen it. But God has described it to us, right? The, the jasper walls, the pearly gates, the golden streets that dominate the scene. But we realize the reality of heaven, the reality of that new creation that He'll bring us into is going to far exceed the description we've been given. It will be unlike anything we could ever imagine. And it will be beautifully wonderful. We've never seen hell. But God has described it to us. And in perhaps one of the only ways that hell may be like heaven. Is that it will far exceed the description we've been given. But it will exceed it. In the opposite direction. It will be far more frightening and terrible. Than anything we could imagine here on earth. This morning we're going to center our attention on a subject that. 
is often left out of preaching and teaching due to its unpleasant nature. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about it. And much like the person of 1850 who's never seen an airplane but wants to understand flight. We're people who've never seen hell. and I hope you never do. I hope we never experience what that's like to be there. I hope none of us ever do. I hope no one ever does. But God has seen fit to describe it to us in His Word. And I think there's a good reason for that. He's described it to us in a number of unpleasant ways that our limited minds can understand so that we would find it terrifying and so that we would do everything in our power to avoid it. And this morning, we're spending our time here for about three reasons that I jotted down. Number one, just to refresh our memories because sometimes we forget. Number two, to renew our vigor in serving Christ because if we really understand the way God has described hell, we will want to serve Christ all the more, even just to avoid it. And third, to renew our zeal to save others from hell through the power of the gospel. Because once we remember the terror of hell, we do not want anyone to go there. I want to read you a passage as we begin. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. In this chapter of 2 Peter, there is a group of people who are mocking. And they're mocking because it seems that the Lord is not going to return. Seems that He's taking a really long time. So long, in fact, that perhaps He doesn't even exist, they might think. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And I want you to think about that verse as we study this morning. Because I think as we study about hell and we study about the description of it, what if you were in God's shoes and you'd made a promise to come back? For a final judgment day. And you knew for a fact that every person who was not submitting to your will would be cast into this terrible place that we're going to read about. How long would you take? How much time would you give people to return so that they might not perish but come to repentance? Would you be perhaps a bit slow? Some might say so. But God calls that patience. Calls it a desire to save rather than to kill. And so He waits today. Because He doesn't want anyone to go to the place that we're about to read about. Keep that in mind. And let's talk about this terrible place called hell. I think it's important to set the stage as we do that. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, let's turn just a page back or so. This is a section about God's ability to punish those who are wrongdoers and to save those who 
have submitted to Him righteously. And in verse 4, it provides an evidence saying, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment. And he continues on. But notice the way that he describes it as pits of darkness. And as we set the stage this morning, hell is a utterly dark place. Jude verse 13, speaking of the destination of men who are deceptive false teachers, says that they are wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And again in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30, at the end of a parable, in verse 30, he says, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness Into that place, or in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place that is dark. Not only dark, but described as the black darkness and the outer darkness. And I believe that last description really needs to be examined. The outer darkness. James chapter 1 verse 17, familiar passage, says God is the Father of lights. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light, in Him is no darkness at all. And if you want to turn to 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, speaks of the consequence of those who are persecuting the church and standing against them. And on the judgment day, in verse 8, God's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These, he says, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Outer Darkness. Darkness that is black darkness, outer darkness, because it is away from the presence of the Lord, who is not just a light, but He is the light. He's the only light. All light comes from Him. And where where hell is, is a place of complete and total darkness. Because those who are there have been cast away from the presence of the Lord. They are outside His glorious presence and are thus away from the presence of all light. Hell may be the only place that God will never be. And that should be a terrifying thought. Because that means that in hell no prayers will be heard from the one suffering. No blessing will ever be given. The dawn of a new morning will never be seen by those who are in hell. And there will be no mercy and certainly no light. Because God will not be there. Hell is described to us first and foremost as a dark place where no light whatsoever will be found. But it's also described as a place full of fire. In Matthew chapter 13, let's turn to Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42, concerning the judgment to come and the end of time. Jesus ends a parable or ends the explanation of it 
by saying, The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Same book, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Matthew 25 and verse 41 He's welcomed those on his right, but in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, he says to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. There should be no question which eternal fire we're speaking of. Which fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels? It is hell that is being described. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 44, Jesus gives a a, a teaching that is very controversial. Some don't quite know how to take it, but I think this vein of study helps us to understand exactly what He's saying. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and 44. He says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You see, a lot of times we look at this and we say, well, he doesn't mean that. What he really means is you ought to get control of yourself. And I think that's the best answer for today to save you from having one hand only. But if it really comes down to it, If it really comes down to it, and the only answer is to go to heaven with one hand or to go to hell with two, Jesus, I think, is absolutely right. Better to go to heaven with one than to hell with two. And in that sense, that statement is absolutely truthful. Although I wouldn't advise anyone to cut off your hands or feet. If you're having serious trouble, we can put you in a straitjacket. <laughs> Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 10, speaks of the end of the devil. Revelation, chapter 20, verse 10, says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In the same chapter, verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know if... uh, if you've ever seen it, but there's a video out online of a pit crew. Uh, they're servicing a, a race car. And all of a sudden, all of them get out of the vicinity of the car. They're slapping themselves in the face and running off. And people are coming with fire extinguishers, but you see absolutely nothing. What, it was a methane fire. Invisible flame. Burning their faces off without ever having a shred of light. 
Hell is filled with an invisible fire that burns you in the dark. And because of that, and perhaps at least because of that, it is described as a place filled with pain and anguish. In Matthew 25, verse 30, a passage we already read, we read, Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We've talked about and read those very words, weeping and gnashing of teeth, several times already. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, we read that they're going to be tormented day and night, forever and ever. It's filled with pain. But the, put together the two words, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I gnash my teeth because I'm in extreme pain. I weep because of great sorrow. The sorrow is extreme sadness over everything that's taken place and everything that's happened and now look where you are. And the gnashing of the teeth is the extreme pain that you experience. And pain, as we read in Revelation 20.10, that is forever and ever, day and night. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11 says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. No rest day and night because their torment and the smoke of it goes up forever and ever. Catherine and I are learning something about needing rest and not finding it. <laughs> we've just had a baby and we've got a six-week-old at the house. And... and Rest can often be hard to come by, but there's a big difference between having a baby and being in hell. And that is that with a baby, rest comes eventually. <laughs> but in hell, it certainly does not. It goes up forever and ever. No rest, day or night, forever and ever. Burning, weeping, gnashing of teeth. There's a passage that describes a place, a place of torment after death. It's Luke chapter 16. I want to go to verse 24. I recognize this doesn't describe hell. But if you think hell's going to be any better, you've got another thing coming. And so we're going to go ahead and look at this. Luke chapter 16 and verse 24. The man, the rich man who lifted up his eyes in torment, cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I'm in agony in this flame. Now the answer takes several verses to give, but the ultimate response is no. You're not going to get any water. You get nothing. Hell is a place of complete, complete torment that never ends. 
And it also seems to be a place of complete consciousness. A place where you are completely and totally conscious of everything that's happening. You know, even here on earth, when pain gets too great, God has done something wonderful for our bodies, and that is He's given it an off switch. Where when things get too bad, our body just shuts off. We go to sleep. And while our body is still in pain, we don't have to experience it in the moment. That doesn't happen in hell. We are always conscious. And we are always filled with regret. In Luke 16, same passage, verse 27 He said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. You recognize he was full of regret over his own foolish choices, but he was desperate to never see his brothers again. But he was fully conscious of where they were. And the fact that if they stayed their current course, he would see them next to him, burning in torment and never to find rest. And what we've touched on through the lesson that only requires us one verse to solidify, Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 Speaking of those who have been disobedient, he says, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This simple statement proves one thing. And it's something we ought to remember very clearly. Hell is as eternal as heaven is. The punishment is as eternal as the life. There are those who believe that heaven is real and hell is not. You might ask someone on the street and take a poll and you say, well, is heaven real? And they say, oh, yes. And you say, how many people are going there? Oh, everybody. And you say, well, what about hell? And they say, well, hell just doesn't exist. That's a story made up for children to scare them into doing what their parents want. Eh? That's wrong. That's... Matthew 25, 46, eternal, eternal. One is only as eternal as the other. One is only as real as the other. And neither ever have an end. Those who are in hell have no hope left to comfort them in their suffering because there is never an end to it. You can stay for a day in that place. And let's say that you had to serve a year in hell. Well, there would be hope then, wouldn't there? Because after a day, you'd have one day less. Let's say two, two years. You'd have one day less at the first day. But you see, you could go to a million years and you would never have any less time. There is no hope. Because there is no end. Once you arrive there. Hell is a dark place filled with burning flame. And all those who enter there 
experience never-ending pain and regret without even the hope of death to save them from it. Your prayers will not be heard. Your cries would go unanswered in that place. And once you enter, you can never leave. But God provided a way to avoid all of that. God provided a way to avoid all of the terrible experiences that hell promises. And the only way to avoid all of that is to be clothed in light by the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will usher you into the place of light, love, rest. Where instead of the cries of pain and despair, all that escapes your lips is the sound of praises being sung to God forever because of His great love and all the blessing that you've received from Him. And today He waits. Remember what we read at the beginning, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He's not slow, He's waiting. Because He understands more than we ever could, the gravity of judgment and just how serious a day that will be because on that day there are no more choices to be made. On that day there are no more opportunities. And so He waits today for one reason, to give you and to give me the opportunity to make sure we are right with Him. Are you right with Him while He waits today? Do you choose the kingdom of light where all the blessings await you? Choose today because tomorrow may be too late. This may be the only chance you get. And if you die outside of Christ, all those terrible things will come to you. But if you come to Him now, Believing in Him, repenting of your sins, confessing your belief before us, and being baptized in His name for the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus Christ will provide you entrance into the everlasting kingdom of light. And so this morning, if you need to respond, don't dismiss the opportunity. Instead, respond and come forward as we stand and sing.